Welcome, everybody, to episode 64 of the Enneagram Journey podcast with my mother and your Enneagram godmother, Suzanne Stabile. Today's guests are two Enneagram ones, Casey Bonanno, a registered dietitian, and her friend, the very beautiful Whitney Stabile, a licensed therapist. A special episode for me, as I hijack it a couple of times for a couple's therapy, you can learn how a seven's idea of vacation differs from a one's idea of vacation even as they move to seven in security. What are ones like when they take on four energy in stressful times? What is diet culture, healthism, and common humanity? And the ladies discuss shame, body image, and belief systems. If you like what you hear, stick around at the end of the episode for ways to reach out to both Casey and Whitney. But if you want to reach out to me, I will be with Suzanne August 17th at the Mississippi Book Festival. It's in Jackson, and it's a great opportunity to meet the godmother shake her hand, get a book signed, and hear her speak with the great Brian McLaren. One last plug, LTM is giving away a brand new iPod Touch loaded with over 90 hours of Enneagram teaching. Visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com or theenneagramjourney.org to win and support Project Semicolon. Enjoy the show, and I hope we see you at an upcoming event. in college specifically I heard them more when I was with people um, because it was all about like all of the voices were telling me oh like people don't like you and like you're being too loud or you're being too quiet why don't you talk or things of that nature like questioning Mm -hmm. everything that I was doing so it was almost easier to be alone wow that's so great and I didn't expect that to be the answer Oh, okay. <laughs> so y'all talk about your voices a little bit with each other and mm-hmm. let us all listen in. This is interesting. Because I have, uh, I had a question earlier about that kind of in a different podcast that kind of suggested that the voices are all the same and what is that? So y'all just talk. I want to listen to you for a little bit. I think maybe we could start by like how you're, you became aware of the voices and you're like, Don't, doesn't everybody... Yeah. Think those things. Right. And I think there's a, and when I was sitting in Know Your Number with you, I think the question that I asked was, what's the distinction between a critical voice and just like some negative self-talk? Because <laughs> um, I just always thought, man, I just have some really negative self-talk. Yeah. But it just, it's, it's unrelenting and it's so irrational and it's, I'll just, you know, I'll be like, I was at the beach with my sister having a great time, super relaxed. And this thought came into my head that was so off basis. And I was like, I think I texted you Mm -hmm. about it. And I was like, I think I know I'm a one. (laughs) Because I think the the thought was something along the lines of, you're a complete embarrassment. And it was, I mean, I'm getting emotional thinking about it, right? Because like, I mean, what a terrible thought to have. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll, it'll just like kind of pop in like all the time and, and to realize that other people don't have that. I was right. like, Oh my God, like that's, that would be amazing to not just think those things about yourself mm-hmm. constantly for no reason, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there are other sides to that though. So, um, because of my desire to be long and to be wanted and all that. Um, I ask the questions myself 
after something. So I can only process verbally as a two. So the way I get to that terrible feeling about myself Mm -hmm. is by asking, like I'll say to Joe, did I talk too much? Mm -hmm. It seems like I always talk too much. I probably talk too much. I bet I talk too much. And he say, no, you you didn't talk too much. You were great. I probably talk too much. So I talk myself into <laughs> that kind that of thought. thing, yeah. right? But it feels to me like it's a lot easier for me to work on not doing that than you, the work the two of you have to do because that voice is yours. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my... Uh, relationship with the voices has changed over time. And I think part of that is because of the work that we do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I started doing the things that I'm asking my clients to do, like showing them self-compassion and that all emotions are good emotions. They're, you know, like they're, or they're all neutral. There's no good or bad. You don't have to latch on to this belief and hold it close. You can allow it just to kind of pass you by. Um, And that has really allowed me to show myself compassion. And, and I've, you and I have talked about this, like the common humanity. So whenever uh, like the, one of the components of self-compassion is common humanity. And one of the mantras that I have is like, other people feel this too. Mm -hmm. Other people are really uncomfortable or are worried about whether they're doing a good job at work. It's not just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been immensely helpful and has allowed me to kind of turn the volume down. I think, nice. on the voices. There are definitely certain situations, especially new situations that I don't know what to expect or what the, the rules are and, mm-hmm. and all of that, that are really hard where the voices crank up pretty loud. Yeah. Um, and that, recently in the past year or two because it's been a new experience i've been having you know like transition jobs and now i'm in the leadership Mm -hmm. role and all of that that um the voices being loud is something that weren't wasn't happening as frequently as it has been Mm -hmm. and it's it's off-putting yeah Mm -hmm. so all the people who listen to me teach can get ready for that line because I've never thought of turning the volume up or turning the volume down a little yeah. bit. I'm all over that. Yeah. Can you do that? Yeah. Are you aware when the volume's up a little bit and down a little bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very obvious. Um, and normally, yeah, it's, it's whether or not I'm, I'm really, I think a big role is um, taking care of myself and, and having boundaries and doing the things that I, you know, not overextending myself. Yeah. Um, because when I do overextend myself, they get louder. That's fascinating because as an introvert, that means you're getting tighter and the voices get louder. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a correlation then between where the voices are louder and why. So do you hear, I want to talk about one more thing and then I'm going to come back and ask you another question. Whitney, you just said, just in talking, my relationship with my voices. Mm -hmm. Casey, do you have a relationship with your voices? I guess what do you mean specifically? I think I, for me, that means like how I manage them and whether I talk back to them or not or whether I'm aware of them or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is partly because of the work that I've been doing with the Enneagram that now I'm aware Mm -hmm. of them and I can be like, oh, this is what's happening right now. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I would would agree with that, that I feel the same. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is your are your voices audible? Like, do you hear a voice like my voice right now when your voices are talking to you? I guess so because my my initial thought is, well, what other way is there? <laughs> so I guess that I guess it, yeah, it really sounds like a, a a voice. Okay, is it a voice you recognize? Yeah, it's mine. Mm-hmm. Okay, is mine is you? for sure mine. Yeah, because a lot of times for me it feels like thoughts. Yes, and sometimes they're fleeting and I don't even realize I'm having them, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I have this emotion and I don't know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. But if I like kind of backtrack, I can figure out why. But they are they are my voice. Yep, my voice, for sure. Do you think they're helpful? I think that I used to think that they were helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I know now that they're not. Um, I mean, I think the thought is that without that voice, I'm not going to be able to do all the things that I do, and I'm not going to be as successful, and I'm not going to be in check, and I'm not going to you know, have all my ducks in a row and it's going to propel me and it's going to motivate me because if, if I'm critical of myself, then I'm going to constantly push myself to do better. But I think that criticism and self-hatred and anything like in that realm can only take you so far before you feel just so beat down by it that it's no longer motivating. Mm-hmm. Man, I love that because I, I'm, I love that you said it can only take you so far because ones would say to me, I can't just not have it. Yeah. It's here. So I have to listen to it. And so I, now I can say to them, cause y'all are teaching me so much that that's only going to take you so far. And then what are you going to do? Right. And I think what ones do is when they run out of that, when they pass that line, then they start, aiming it on everybody else. Mm-hmm. Then it's, you're bad and you're bad and you don't do things well and that goes around and around and around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how criticism from other people feels. Mm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, it, it feels like I've got, I get sideswiped. It's interesting, too, because I think that sometimes people say things and it's actually not criticism, uh-huh. but I perceive it as criticism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, like a person that's on this board with me, um, pointed out something that I said, um, and she thought it was kind of funny. And then I was so appalled that that was what she thought I said when mm-hmm. that's not what I meant, but she thought it was funny. I, I literally have thought about it every day since she told me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I know that's not, you know, but, and when I think about it, I have to reframe it and be like, you're obsessing about this and it doesn't, like you're giving this so much power and it, it doesn't need this much power because it's not that big of a deal. Okay. It depends on the situation. Um, criticism. And I think if I can recognize it and think and believe the criticism, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially professionally. And if I'm, I, if I'm in an open stance to receive it, yeah. like if I know I'm going in for, for a performance review or if right. my supervisor says like, Hey, can we just sit down? Like I've noticed some things and I just want to talk to you about them. I can like hear that and I can accept that and like go home and work on it. And more times than not, like not beat myself up too badly about it. 
Um, but if it's in a more critical, like if the words that they use are more judgmental, like mm -hmm. you're not a good person, like mm -hmm. you're not good fit for this, or like you don't have very great skills at this. Mm -hmm. there, there are different ways to phrase it. Sure. Phrase, yeah. um, constructive feedback. In relationships, it's difficult. <laughs> uh, Go on. <laughs> in relationships, it's difficult. Um, and I think that is where the voice kicks in. That's like, it's not just me. Mm -hmm. yes. yes, absolutely. Yeah. They, they think you're they, bad too. They mm -hmm. agree yeah. with you. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's hard. I would yeah. think you'd feel ganged up on. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that I'm kind of hearing that you're saying, and I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is that whether the criticism is expected mm -hmm. or not, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like in a work peer, like there in a work go. situation, mm -hmm. I expect some criticism so mm -hmm. I can prepare myself for it. Yep. Like I know it's coming and I can get my mind right and I can take it and it's, and it's, it's normal, right? Yeah. It's a normal mm -hmm. situation to get some, you know, feedback when it's in a, just kind of, that's when I feel like sideswiped by it when it's, um, just kind of in conversation or more personal relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, or even if I know, like I'm going into a conversation with my husband, like I can prepare for it. Like he, mm -hmm. he's, he's probably going to tell me I did some things wrong, mm -hmm. which of course I did, you know, we're all human, but if it's more like something on the fly, it, it feels, it feels worse than, than if I know it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> And there have been times where I've even said to Joel, like, if you, if you see X, Y, and Z in me, please let me know. And he's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you got it. But I think, I think there are, that, that is where it's like, I'm expecting it. I've asked for it. I can accept yeah. it because mm -hmm. I've asked for it. If you just come at me with it, I'm not going to like it. Yeah. And it's going to be really hard for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I, th I think it's hard for most people, but I would think it's particularly hard for you guys. Um, I've been saying something that I um, have some experience with, but I'm not positive that it's true across the board. So I'm going to check it out. Um, do you think that you act out your anger at home more than other places? I think, I think I did when I was younger, for sure. I think, yeah, I definitely did when I was younger. And I don't know if that's just happens to be the place that I felt most comfortable mm -hmm. to express anger. Now, now I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think I can, but I think that anger is, um, it's easy to get there and it's, it's uncomfortable, but familiar. Good. Well said. I think I was the opposite growing up mm -hmm. that I don't think I felt safe expressing my anger at home. Safe, you know, is one sure. of those, those words. Like I was a safe at home, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> um, but our family didn't like have outward expressions yeah. of anger is more kind of like sideways or passive aggressive. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> um, and I think my mom would sometimes come in and I would be like muttering to myself, mm -hmm. like replaying conversations and my angry thoughts or responses like under my breath while mm -hmm. I was getting ready for 
school or yeah, whatever it was. Sure. Um, and probably acted out my anger more outside of the home yeah. than I did at home. You know, one of the big Enneagram teachings is that for, for all time is that ones are very seldom angry about what they're angry about because they stuff anger and then it comes out when you can't stuff anymore. Is that true for you guys? I think it can be for sure. Yeah. I notice that if I'm taking care of myself, then I'm able to manage it a lot better. Yes, agree. And I don't know if this is the same for everybody, but I know that you're a cheerleader growing up. But me playing sports all my life, and then as an adult, having periods of time where I wasn't moving my body and then doing something physical that I enjoyed, that the anger would ramp up. Mm -hmm. So being able to expend some of that has been very helpful. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I have less anger when I'm moving my body on on a regular basis. Yeah, that's very helpful. You too. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, I'm able to manage, manage that now. If I'm taking care of myself, I think that I, I, I stuff and I'm expressing my emotions openly to whoever, you know, is involved, whether it's my husband or a friend or, you know, colleague. Um, if I'm doing that, then I don't, then I tend to not do the whole, like I get angry at you for this one thing. And then here's this whole Rolodex of things that you've done wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to do that less, but there's definitely still times where for whatever reason, whether I haven't been able to have the conversation or something, it'll definitely stack up. It'll catch up to me. And then I'm angry about this one thing, but then here's all the, mm-hmm. these other things that I probably should have addressed with you already. Yeah. Then I'm still, I got them stored up. I'm yeah. ready. Yeah. yeah. But I think at least for me, sorry. <laughs> Some of it is I don't want to bring it up because if it's one time, it's not going to be a big deal. But if yes. it becomes a pattern, then it's a big deal. Yeah. And I don't want to tell you mm-hmm. every single time if it like, cause like if it's just once, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Like I can manage that. Mm-hmm. But if it's starts to become a pattern and then if you're in a, aggre- in a relationship with an aggressive number and they're like, why didn't you tell me this earlier? This, is not, this isn't about me. <laughs> if, all right. So I'm, let's get some therapy here. <laughs> I disagree with that way of doing things. It's like when, it, when you come to me, Referencing things that happened long ago and a lot of time has gone on between now and then. This and is that a time, theme. <laughs> that time was good and joyful and lovely. Then why bring well, it up? Now is not the time to discuss <laughs> that thing that you didn't like. That was the time. If you didn't yeah. like it, that was the time to say it. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. I, I, I got to She'll watch. talk to us later. <laughs> One morning on Good Morning America, they had a person who does um, body things, like who reads your body, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And she was really good at it. Like, she, they showed some news event that had just happened, and, like, she's famous for it or something. And uh, she said, J- you just watch people when you're having a conversation with them. And what they do with their feet will tell you a lot. And I looked over while you two just had that exchange, and Whitney's foot was going up and down and up and down. And then I got a little nervous, and mine started going up and down. (laughs) So I I think this is a foolish thing that I'm about to do. I love it. Let's go with this. Casey, you may need to to take care of me here. Okay. (laughs) 
I'm about to jump in the middle of something that isn't mine to jump into. Okay. But I do think that there is a hesitancy to criticize a one. I mean, for a, for anybody to criticize a seven, unless it's a pattern, because it makes them so sad. Yeah. Followed by other things, but it's like it it changes the mood of everything. It's if, a drastic change. Yes, mm-hmm. if you criticize a seven. It changes literally everything. So you sort of stock up on when you're going <laughs> to say sometimes what. it's like, it's a small thing. I don't want yeah. to make it a big deal because yeah. I don't want to deal with the aftermath. <laughs> yes, exactly. a small conversation with yes. you. Yes, yeah, yeah. That could be like, okay, cool. Thanks for that. And yeah. then we could move on. But yeah. There's no. The response you're looking from me is, okay, cool. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly sevens are tuning in gonna, not exactly that it out on sheets of paper <laughs> not, not exactly that slide it to but you but like i hear that yeah yeah i i'll i'll take that in i'll work on it any of those things you know, like it, any you know. of those things yeah i i i get that okay on to other things that are are, are, are less familial Perhaps. Um, Because of your professions, you both have lots of tools to work with. Mm -hmm. If I had an opportunity in workshops to offer ones two or three tools that they could use, skills, that they could use to manage the voices or to manage their whatever the thing is they have to have be perfect or to manage their ongoing comparing mind, always comparing themselves to other people and other people to other people. What would you offer are some really good, just two or three really good tools that work for you and work for people that you try to help? I don't know if they're tools, but more like mindsets and beliefs. I mean, like self-compassion, obviously, I think uh-huh. has been huge. And in my language, I would call that a tool, I would say. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is realizing that you don't have to live by these rules. Because I think growing up, I just thought, like, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about There's it. There's a right and a wrong. There's a right and a wrong. There's a rule for everything. And realizing that, like, oh, this, not everybody believes these things. Right. And people do things way differently than I do. And they're still living, like, happy lives and still, like, right. they're not in jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that I don't have to live by other people's rules, that I can make my own has mm-hmm. been really helpful. I think thought reappraisal is a, is a big one. It's like taking that thought and, and asking yourself, is that really the only, is that a hundred percent accurate? Mm-hmm. Is that always a hundred percent accurate? Or are there some other, you know, maybe in the middle things, mm-hmm. right? Cause mm-hmm. typically it's like black or white, yes or no, or, um, do this or don't do this. It's like, could you find that middle ground of, of, a version of that Mm -hmm. or like if you have a negative self-talk or 
I don't know, like a thought that is like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. Mm -hmm. What would be like a reappraisal that isn't that, that would be more neutral and less judgmental. Mm -hmm. Right. So, okay, maybe, maybe that wasn't the most balanced thing that I've ever eaten, but it's just one meal, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and trying to find a counter thought to it that is just more neutral and less judgy. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because in the Road Back to You Study Guide, we came up with a thing called SNAP. And you stop and notice and ask and pivot. Mm-hmm. And underneath ask, you ask yourself, is it true? Mm-hmm. And then you follow that by asking yourself, is it really true? Yeah. <laughs> because so often we have to have more than one layer of questioning to get to the truth because we've got this buy-in and it seems like so often the buy-in for people is that we're bad. We've done a bad thing. It's bad. It's, it's a, it's a difficult culture mm-hmm. to come up with. I'm right. Yeah. I think, or, or this is okay. I think there are many people who are stuck in either I'm bad or screw it. I don't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without that one thing in there where you get to be right Mm -hmm. or what you're doing is acceptable and okay, even if it's not what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You were talking, Whitney, uh, about growing up, this was right, this is wrong, but then reevaluating. What is that one practice that you talked about? Is it three sheets or? Oh, yeah. It's uh, morning pages. Morning pages is what it's called, and you take three sheets of paper, mm-hmm. and you write down you, when you first wake up in the morning. No, no, no. I'm, this is one where you have it the, like up three, on, in your closet. On the wall. Got it. To, like, Got it. Belief systems. The yeah. belief systems, and it seemed. Did you ever do that? Have you? I've never done that, but I have thought about how that would be helpful. But I think I've. We describe it real fast, so we sure. Yeah. So Casey, you know what we're talking about? I. It's a practice where you. Um, take three sheets of butcher paper and hang them on the wall so you got all this space to work with. And they're going to be up for six weeks, but you have to <laughs> you have to hang them somewhere in your house where you see them all the time, mm-hmm. which is why not very many ones do it. You know, I tell them you can square off the bottoms and you can use the masking tape, colored tape that matches the wallpaper, yeah. or whatever you need to do so that you can see them. And then for the first two weeks, you write down the belief system that you grew up with and what the rules were and what you believed and all that. And then you leave it. And for the next two weeks, you write down the current systems that you're part of the belief systems and what the people around you believe. And then on the third one, the last two weeks, you write down what you believe. Mm -hmm. And boy, that's a journey to get from what you grew up believing to what the belief system is that surrounds you now, mm-hmm. to what you believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's particularly important for ones, twos, and sixes because in our stance, we're thinking repressed. And when you're thinking repressed, that means that you often just go with what you were taught was the truth. Yeah. And you don't think it through ever to think, do I really believe that? Do I really think that's true? Mm-hmm. And when I did it, I came up with a, a significant list of things that I kind of talked the talk and walked the walk and didn't believe that. Mm-hmm. Right. I think 
just based on our profession, we've had to do that yeah. to be able to work in the field of eating disorders. And like we both have had to examine our own thoughts and beliefs about body image and food and our relationship to food. Mm-hmm. And because we're modeling that for our clients and we have to teach them about it. So right. we've already had to do it in those areas. And I think even just having that kind of experience has allowed me to be like, Oh, there's other things too yeah. that I could look into and see if this is actually the truth mm-hmm. right. or not. Which I also think is helpful when you have that inner critic too, is like examining that and seeing if that is actually true. Is that an actual belief? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the majority of the time I spend with people in session is talking about what beliefs they have about body and food and weight and that sort of thing and thinking about either what do I want to believe or do I really believe that or basically like retraining the brain how to think about food, weight, and body because most of the reason they have all these rules and regulations that come from exterior sources and they don't know why they specifically believe them and they don't even really have any science to back them up. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times they don't believe it about other people. They only believe it only about themselves. About themselves. Only, yeah, it only, only applies to them. They are, they are the exception. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example? It's okay for other people to be at X size, but it's not okay for me. Okay. Like other people can eat carbohydrates, but I cannot eat carbohydrates Mm -hmm. or whatever food. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It seems like the time that we're living in right now, how exponentially fast technology is growing. Mm -hmm. It seems that that applies to the belief systems as well. What was believed by culture when I was little versus what culture is saying things, just, just facts, not belief system. Like actually no, in the eighties, we were all wrong about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thrilled to death that bacon doesn't have carcinogens and that I'm not <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, when, you, when people just say stuff like that and then everybody stops eating bacon, Yep. Mm-hmm. except I didn't, <laughs> I'm so glad to know, but I wonder how See, much, this is where they would say, eat, if you want the bacon, you should eat the bacon. Amen. No matter what's mm-hmm. in it. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm all about it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Those are the things that will kill you. Well, every other, you know, every other day it changes. And I always tell people, you know, nutrition in terms of sciences is a really new science. And it's also like, it's kind of crazy that I'm a one and I'm in like the least exact science possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the least exact science possible. So like on paper, everything can like, yeah, this all makes sense. And this is what you should do. And this is how you should eat or whatever. And it can totally not be right for you. Yeah. Because there's absolutely no perfect way to eat. There's no perfect way to exercise. And it's so individualized. And there are so many factors that play into someone's relationship with food. Like, you know, it's just, it's hard to say, like, eat. Well, it's impossible to say, eat this and don't eat that. Yep. Yep. And yet, as a one, there's a way that you think that would mean you can eat this and don't eat this Mm -hmm. like you which fascinates me that you're both ones (laughs) yeah right what do you wish people knew about being a one i tell him all the time i'm not being critical it's just an observation that i'm (laughs) making (laughs) that that can be the same it can be an observation that is critical 
Well, to me, I mean, like in my my intention is yes, yeah. The observation isn't this. This is good. What's happening right there? I like that. Observations can be neutral. Hmm. Give an example. We're not trying to just keep coming. (laughs) (laughs) What is an example that you have of this? (laughs) Of a neutral observation? Yeah, that's not critical. That I might push back on. I just remember that I'd be like, you you have a hair on your neck. I'm just letting you know that it's there. Good God. <laughs> That's for example, I got it, I guess. Yeah. We'll just let it be there. Okay. I mean, but I also just wanted to let you know that it's there in case you want to do something about it. Okay. <laughs> I'm also okay if you don't. Okay. So let me tell you where I am in this whole conversation. In case you just feel free to jump right into <laughs> Stabile family. I want to get Casey's stuff. husband on the line. I yeah. know he's here to back me up. Do we know what number Will is? Yeah, he's a six. Oh, that's right. I bet he doesn't care for that. But it's a lot. It's lots of unproductive thinking going on in their house. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Left and right. <laughs> um. I lately. So, so one of the things that evidently comes with being sixty-eight is chin hairs. Mm-hmm. So just so you know, I want to know if I have a hair on my chin. <laughs> I care. A lot, but I'm not just saying that for fun, but I want to know, and I'm telling you right now, I want to know. And if you point it out, I will feel embarrassed by that. I'll feel like, ah, Casey, what you got? So I think that a lot of times the examples of oneness is all the, um, the doing and the being perfect at doing something. But I think that you can also... Um, I find in myself that sometimes I completely avoid doing it because I can't be perfect Mm. at it. So in looking at like what perfectionism is, sometimes it actually looks like procrastination because you're kind of just like so afraid to get started because you have to be so perfect at it. Like the example of like putting together, um, furniture and stuff, I just won't, I won't even do it because I know it's going to be wobbly. It has to do with fear of imperfection. It's like... I can't read this thing and hold this piece and this piece and get all this done right and be happy with the end product. So I'm not starting. Yeah. But like in little kids who are ones who might be ones, <laughs> but I think in little kids who are ones, if they're not good at a sport, they don't want to play sports. It's like, no, I don't want to play soccer. I'm not good at soccer and I don't want to play. And it's not that they don't want to learn. It's mm-hmm. that they don't want to play till they've learned. And they don't have the option for that. And so they opt out completely. Yeah. One of the things I've told parents who have a child who won't get involved in stuff, boys, uh, is put them in Boy Scouts. Because everybody gets to be a winner in Boy Scouts, like you don't, <laughs> right? And then they can feel good about themselves until they find something that they want to do. I was the worst Boy Scout. You were, indeed. Everyone the worst was not Boy good at Boy Scouts. <laughs> a lot of responsibility, a lot of structure for... Yeah. A lot of be quiet, show up on time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Bring your home. It's extended school. Yeah, I loved it. it. Loved, oh, I loved loved it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Girl yeah. Scouts. Yeah. yeah. Loved it. Like responsibility. Yeah. yeah. My thing with the completing well, Can stuff, I say one more thing? I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. but y'all would love badges, too. Like oh, ones with oh, oh, yeah. badges. Yeah. Yep. Got a badge for that, oh, a badge yep. for that, a badge for that. And look, and, at, look at all the things that I did. Yeah. And yeah. accomplished. Mm-hmm. And y'all would say... Man, I don't want a badge. I don't want to do it, and I don't care if I don't get a badge. Yeah. Chase is the one, my best friend. Yeah. And the guy was, what's the highest thing you do? Eagle, Eagle. Scout. Eagle Scout. But like yeah. full on Eagle, and you know, there's a big 
all the badges, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry, Whitney. I no, I was just going to say my thing with that, I don't know if this is a one thing or if it's one of my like one rules. I can't start something without finishing it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can't do like two steps of a task. Mm-hmm. So what my, part of my procrastination is like, I don't have the time yep. to sit down and complete this whole thing right now. Mm-hmm. So I can't do it right now. Absolutely. Where like for other people, they'd be like, well, I'll just do steps one through three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just like, my mind can't even get out of that box enough to realize that I can do one through three right now. Right. I might, I might think about that like hours later, but I can't think about it mm-hmm. in the moment. Man, I love the visual of watching Casey listen to you say all that because she said, yep, absolutely. That's that's how we roll. That's so important. Why would you start something you can't finish today? Yep. Right? Absolutely. Um, Okay. I uh, don't know when I'll have this opportunity again. I want you all to keep talking about yourselves as ones any way you want to. But I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to hear you talk a little bit about your take, which will be as ones and as professionals on uh, image crafting Mm -hmm. and the image of the singular image that is in our culture for how women are supposed to look Mm -hmm. and about the fact that it's getting to be more and more important that men follow an image mm-hmm. standard as well. Mm-hmm. I just want to hear you talk about that for a little bit because both of you know all about it. And I don't fit the image, and I haven't since I was 17. But the reason I'm really honing in on that right now is personal in a way because I just was part of a huge women's conference, 800 mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a talk for that. And, um, I had to say something kind of quickly and I don't know, it, Casey, you wouldn't know Whitney. I don't know if you know that I had, I, I have a history of introducing myself with all of the things that would make you go away. And I stopped doing that about six or seven years ago. I thought, I don't, I don't have to do that. But it still feels kind of comforting to me to start with, I was adopted, my mother didn't want me, so if you're going to go away, go, right? Like, And then I was sexually abused at 16, so if you're going, go. And then I was overweight at 17, and then, you know, divorce, whatever happened. Mm-hmm. So what I was aware of when I wrote this talk is that I said, I was sexually abused at 16, and for the first time in my life, I was overweight at 17, And it never occurred to me until that moment that that's shame on shame. Mm -hmm. It's shameful to be sexually abused regardless. Like I had to be in therapy for years to not feel shame about that. Mm -hmm. And it's shamed culturally in our culture for sure to be overweight. And that is still at times debilitating for me. It Mm -hmm. just makes me so sad. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the shame element that I don't know, I don't know what to do with that. Like Mm -hmm. I'm learning, but I'm doing a lot of writing about shame right now. So I'm working on that. But when you pile shame on shame on shame on shame, then we are culturally in a great deal of trouble. Mm -hmm. It seems to Mm -hmm. me. 
So th- there's a lot there. Y'all talk about whatever you want to. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start? <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, where where to begin, right? I mean, there's there's so, so much. much. Um, well, I think the thing that comes to mind for me is that a lot of people feel like if you have healthy body image, then you love yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. And I think Casey can speak for this, but... I've been outside of diet culture for almost 10 years now. And I still have days where I don't like the way I look in the mirror or wish my body was different or like wish this wasn't like that. And I've had two children since then. And what, you know, that has even been a process. You know, I had a baby a year ago next Friday Mm -hmm. and that was it a different process than when I had my first baby mm-hmm. of accepting my body in the way it was. And can I accept this body? Like I did that body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's, I think it, the normal experience is that you have those thoughts, mm-hmm. the experience that's not normal or that's not healthy mm-hmm. is that you do things mm-hmm. to manage that. Mm-hmm. And that it occupies a significant amount of your day. And so I might have that thought. I might look in the mirror and have that thought of like, I wish this wasn't like that. And then go on about the rest of my day. Still put my clothes on. Mm-hmm. Go, right. you know, it's not, it doesn't interfere. I don't continue to ruminate about it for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change my mood. It doesn't change how I behave at work. It's just an observation. It's just an observation. Got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for other people, and I think the majority of people who are still in diet culture and have these beliefs about themselves, it is a significant part of their day. Yeah. And they do decide what they're going to eat or not eat because of how they felt about when they looked in their body in mm-hmm. the mirror. So uh, I'm going to challenge y'all to do something. We can record it here if you'd like to. Um, I, I've decided because I'm a United Methodist and there's so much conversation going on, in our denomination right now about the queer community and about LGBTQ inclusion and Mm -hmm. all of that, that I've decided in part, Whitney, because two years ago you told me to go get a National Geographic and Mm -hmm. I did it and it changed how I saw so much Mm -hmm. because the title of that National Geographic was Gender Revolution. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I'm going to do here at the Micah Center is I'm going to bring in a friend of ours who's a therapist to offer some classes on language. Mm -hmm. Because people do not know the appropriate language associated with the gender revolution. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just occurred to me that when you talk about diet culture, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, y'all speak a language that people don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it would be so helpful if people knew the language because Mm -hmm. everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. And they're all sharing their opinions outside of language. And if you care enough to learn the language then it could be that you have something to say. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then you probably don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's even more important because diet culture is co-opting our yes. language and yes. using our language. They're taking my words. As, <laughs> as a uh, marketing ploy. Yeah. So like intuitive eating has been something that's been in our work for a long time. And it's now getting trendy. it's getting trendy, trendy. Mm-hmm. but it's not real intuitive. Eating. Right. It's not the core purpose of it. They're mm-hmm. using it as diet culture. Yeah. And I think whenever we say diet culture, we obviously mean like diets, but we also mean like the underlining unhealthy systemic belief system that thin is better 
and that there's a certain way to eat that is morally superior. Yeah. And that you should always be working towards a goal. Yes. And that if you're not, then there's something wrong with that. Yes. And that's called healthism. And so that's something that is pretty rampant in our culture as well. Yeah. So it's fascinating to me because I, I could have said every word that you just said, Casey, about the Enneagram. Mm. You, you know, it now is trendy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. people are co-opting language mm -hmm. that doesn't actually mean anything in the way that it's being used in the culture. It's very true. And it does mean something in terms of Enneagram wisdom. So mm -hmm. y'all need to get that recorded and we can accommodate that here and then figure out you can just pass them out. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Love it. Because people don't know what they're talking about, and yeah. they have lots and lots of opinions about that. Oh, right? yeah. A lot of opinions. And people, especially about food and body, feel like it's okay to share their opinions with you. Yeah. People who live in larger bodies get people telling them their opinions all the time. Yep. Even in grocery stores. Yep. Walking through the aisle, someone looks in their cart and be like, you shouldn't be eating that. That's right. Yep. Because it's culturally acceptable. We mm -hmm. have, the, our culture basically says that it's okay in the lens of like, oh, well, I'm helping that person. No, you're not. You're shaming that person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's big. Yep. It's a big thing. And I think shame is the root to m most eating issues. It, yeah. All I know is that when I was 18, I came to SMU as a freshman. So then I was two years into being overweight based on my trauma. And I went to a department store here in Dallas and uh, to apply for a job. And they told me that they wouldn't have me on the floor, but that I could work in the back room. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff that goes with all that. So, so I think that maybe someday we'll do another podcast and we'll talk about just that, because right now I want to ask you some more things about being a one. But I want to talk about the fact in that other podcast we're going to do someday about how each number reacts to that. Yeah. yeah. Because I went straight from you can work in the back room to eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. It's like, I'll show you. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole nother thing. All right. Um, that's your eightness. <laughs> <laughs> By golly. Eating, yeah. Eating at someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell me, what do you think is the wisdom of a one that perhaps you don't know resides in another number? Like I think every number has a piece of the whole, right? Mm -hmm. So that we end up with all nine numbers, we end up with a holistic view of what we should do or life or the world or whatever. Mm -hmm. What do you think one of the one pieces is? It doesn't have to be the perfect one piece or the only one piece, just <laughs> one of the one pieces. Man, I don't know. Like I, th I think about like we know how to make things better, mm -hmm. but threes can do that too. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you know what the difference would be in you, you making it better in threes, making it better? Well, there's a reliability of ones that I yeah. envy. Ones and are so consistent yep. and so responsible. Yep. And they'll tell, like, they are super honest and <laughs> will tell you whatever they tell you they're going to do, they're going to do. Yep. Yeah. The follow through is. is kind of like eights. I feel like you don't get a half assed job done either. Right. Like, it's if I'm going to do it, if I say, if you, I'm not a one, what I see in you is. I'm going to do my best job at this thing that I've said that I will do. Yeah. No matter how small it is. 
yep. or how big it is. Yeah. Yeah. It matters. Every job matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I was in a, a group of women that I get together with that were all entrepreneurs and we're all different numbers. Um, but they were asking what, what each person's superpower was. And mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously like could not think of mine. And one of my coworkers said that if you ask Casey to do something, she's going to do it and she's not going to forget. And it's going to be done quickly, efficiently, and in the best way that she knows how. Yep. It's like dependable, reliable, never drops the ball. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not sexy. man it's reliable though (laughs) let me just tell you there's an age where reliable is very sexy yeah right (laughs) (laughs) it it comes yeah (laughs) what does the movement for stress and security look like for both y'all i mean security is real fun i i absolutely love it i feel like the coolest person because <laughs> I'm spontaneous. She goes can, on more vacations. Than yes. I, do. I go on vacations. I can, I can actually relax. Mm-hmm. It's nice to not do things all the time. Mm-hmm. I can just do nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. It's my favorite part. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're talking about once going to seven. Let's mm-hmm. let everybody know what's wonderful about yes. all that. And <laughs> When you go to seven, does everything just go to hell at your house with two sevens running the show? No, because no, he's in five. <laughs> no, he's in, you're in five all the time. Well, not all the time, but a lot of time at home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which to me sometimes feels like whenever we go on a vacation, he's in five and just like kind of wants to uh-huh. be... And I'm like, I want to do all the things. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I why can't we be things. sevens together on this vacation yeah. and do all the things? I'm yeah. also really great at planning vacations. I have a whole itinerary oh, yeah. and everything is scheduled. Oh, yeah. See, yeah. I don't have to do the schedule, but I want to but, know all the things that I can do. You drag and your would oneness want to do. into the seventh space. If we're <laughs> in Colorado and wake up in the morning and she's like, here, here is the, all the fun we are going to do. <laughs> And I'm like, that's our I version don't... of spontaneity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, spontaneity is it's, it's morning and this is the plan. Here's, here's right. the plan right. for all the seven funness. And I'm like, I want to have coffee. Seven and then we'll decide, I want to decide later what is going to be fun in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't, I schedule, my day scheduled out is I schedule spontaneity. There so you I'm go. like, in the morning time, we can do whatever we like to do only until two o'clock because then we got to go <laughs> and we got to <laughs> I want to know what I'm going to be looking forward to doing. Sure. Sure. I get it. Looking forward to vacation. Yeah. Part of vacation is the doing of the fun things. You know what would be worse than being on vacation with Whitney? (laughs) (laughs) Being on vacation with me. Because when I'm on vacation, I just want to be with. Mm -hmm. Right? I just want to look at the look of his face. (laughs) (laughs) He already gets enough of that with me. I think Whitney's got a big two wing. Yeah. All right, and so what does it look like when you go to four? So emotional. It looks different now as an adult than it did as a child. Yeah. Because I have more tools now, and I know, and all of that. And Mm -hmm. I try to, because where before I, I, as a one, would be like, I can't feel this way. It's not okay to feel like this. It's not Mm -hmm. okay to cry. Mm -hmm. It's not okay to be emotional or depressed and, you know be upset for more than one day or, you know, whatever, like I need to get my act together. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but now I try to allow myself to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's harder when you have a family and have a job yep. and you can't just like drop everything and go there. Yeah. Um, and so I try to do it in kind of like little doses. Mm-hmm. Like I can spend this 30 minutes journaling right now, mm-hmm. or I can I cry, go for a I cry in my car a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I talk yeah. to mine. With nobody watching. No one watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have imaginary conversations, and they're all very heated. Yeah. How dare you? Mm-hmm. You think mm-hmm. you can? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I do in my mm-hmm. car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I was just reading up on that um, in preparation for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> As a true one would. Yeah. Um, about that, and I think thinking about um, certain life situations that we went through, Whitney and I Together. went through at the same time, mm-hmm. um, or sim- very similar mm-hmm. times, Um and I was reading about it and I was like, oh my gosh, in that, in that situation, that being going to four actually saved me oh, because yeah. I would have said that that was my fault, that it's because of me mm-hmm. and like doing all the critical stuff. But because, and I thought back to it, I think there was a little bit of that, sure. but, um, I, it could have been so, I mean, that could have just crushed my world. And, but because I went to a four, I just was, I mean, I was definitely like, I had some really big feelings and a lot of emotions about Mm -hmm. it. And um, I think my friends and family were like, what is going on? Um, (laughs) Maybe because that's a different, different Different than normal. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, But it it really did save me from being too critical about myself in that situation. You get to be sad instead of critical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating thing. Mm -hmm. You just get to be melancholy and sad instead of beating yourself up. This is an unfair question, so I'd like for you to watch for it, and we'll talk about it the next time we talk, whenever that is, unless you have an answer today. Mm-hmm. Do you criticize yourself while you're in four? Like, does, do your voices get on you when you're in four? I used to. But there was something that you said, who knows, when? a year, two years ago, yeah. I don't know, where when you go to four your voices are quieter. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is 100% true. Yep. yep. Because I'm able to feel, I'm able to allow all the feelings that I've been measuring out uh-huh. to just be, mm-hmm. and I can just be, mm-hmm. and there's, there's none of the, none of that. There's yeah. none of the voices or maybe, maybe like a little, but they're not yeah. as loud for sure. Yeah. yeah. They're definitely quieter. Mm-hmm. Did you find it easier working with each other because you're both ones? Absolutely. I requested her all of the time. I was like, can my patient be like, we sh- we worked at the same treatment center and mm-hmm. she's a therapist and I'm a dietitian. So we would share people. And when I got matched up with her, it was, it was, it was glorious. <laughs> it, it was, I just didn't even have to worry about it. Yep. I because didn't have to we worry have the same anything. structured style. Mm-hmm. We're very straightforward with our clients mm-hmm. and... There are certain clients that really respond to that right? and need that. Yep. And we knew that she was going to have my back. Mm-hmm. I was going to have hers. We and were going to say the same things. Yeah. I didn't have to. Yeah. what she, I had no worries about what she would say. And I always knew that um, all of her stuff would be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because sometimes I would have to look at her notes and yeah. that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Comforting. It was very nice. Very comforting mm-hmm. to have a shared vision. Yeah. Right. A shared way of seeing. So, um, I, I, man, it's hard for me to leave this conversation. <laughs> I learned a lot. 
I don't want to be patronizing and say it was perfect, but I will say this. It was more than I expected that it could be because you've both done work. Mm. And I, I think one of the things we have to all realize is that your ability to tell people who you are in many ways is determined by how well you know yourself. And we are living in a world with people who don't know themselves. Mm -hmm. They know what their opinions are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my definition of opinions that I got from Richard Rohr is underdeveloped thinking. Mm -hmm. And I am just so thankful that we had some opportunity and some time to talk with you about oneness that you've thought about Mm -hmm. and that you've done some work around so that people then when they hear this podcast get to hear well, it used to be this, mm-hmm. but now it's this mm-hmm. because that's the point of the Enneagram yeah. right there. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to always be A. It can be this instead. And I, yeah. I'm i just so grateful, so grateful. It was just superb. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And if you're still sticking around, you will not be disappointed if you reach out to either one of these brilliant ladies. Best way to reach out to Whitney is at bravehavencounseling.com. And you can find her on Instagram at WhitneyLPC. Casey, you can find at DallasNutritionalCounseling.com. And also on the old Instagram at DallasNutritionalCounseling.com.